0: If you have your Bible, you can make your way to um, Luke chapter fifteen. We we're, we're coming to the end of Luke chapter fifteen, and as we we go through this series, we just want to see who Jesus is, and and you see that by the way he interacted with people, the 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 who he was in these situations because throughout the Gospels, Luke is where we're focusing on this, but throughout the Gospels there were different interactions between Jesus and those people that would come in, uh, whether they were seeking to know him or whether they were seeking to trip him up. Uh, Either way, we get to see who he was and and get to see what he taught and what we should then live by because of that. And so as we're looking at this, um, we're just kind of picking and choosing we're not going completely verse by verse like we typically like to do but we we're looking at certain situations where we see Jesus and then see how our lives are then changed because of that or how we should see people differently as often the case and and today we're in in the second half of Luke chapter 15 Um, we're going to be reading verse 11 through the end of the chapter verse 32 and and as we look at that we're looking at this idea of a, a father's love and 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 so, if you will, just pray with me before we read, just to kind of clear our minds, just focus again in on, on God's ability to, to give us understanding as we approach His words. So if you will, pray with me. Father God, as we open Your Word, I just pray that, that we get out of the way, that we would allow Your Spirit to Just allow your spirit to speak to us, God, to to pierce our hearts with the truth of your word, God, that you've given us your word, and it is effective, and that our lives should be molded around it instead of it around our desires. God, we just pray that today that that you would be glorified. God, that that you would be magnified, glory would be brought to you, and as we live our lives as an outworking of this truth, that more glory would be brought to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you will follow along, I'm gonna read verse 11 through 32. And, and if this is one of those, again, this is one of those passages that's, that, that's popular. A lot of people know it. There's a lot of artwork surrounding this passage. There's a lot going on here. So as, as we read this, uh, I, the, the challenge I have as, we, as I read it and you follow along, try, try to allow yourself to read it with, with fresh eyes. To, to, to notice things that maybe you haven't noticed, to allow the truth to be new so that we can then just see what God has for us today instead of what we've always known, if you've known the story. And so, if you will, verse 11, Luke says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I have sinned. "'Against heaven and before you, "'I'm no longer worthy to be called your son.' "'But the father said to his servants, "'Bring quickly the best robe, "'and put it on him, "'and put a ring on his finger, "'and shoes on his feet, "'and bring the fatted calf, "'and kill it, "'and let us eat and celebrate. "'For my son was dead, "'and he is alive again. "'He was lost and is found, "'and they began to celebrate. "'Now his older brother was in the field, "'his older son was in the field, "'and he came, "'and he drew near to the house, "'and he heard music and dancing.' And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a younger goat, a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But well, when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes and is, you've killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found and it's, it's so amazing when we read stories like this because it, it, it peaks your emotions doesn't it it, it grabs you and, and it's cool to look at this story and see this this narrative that we have here because it's a good story because it grabs your emotions you can relate to both brothers you can relate to the father maybe you can see all this and that's what good stories do right the 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 best stories they they latch on to some sort of reality yet they, they tell it with a different lens and so you can relate to it but then it allows you to develop your emotions in a way that that makes it new and, and that's what gets you on this. That's what draws you in to the story. So as we go through this today, as we're looking deeper into this, this story of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son, ask yourself, how would you react in each of these situations? How, how would you treat people that, that represent the people in this story? Because we've all, most of us, have been in these situations where we've encountered the exact same type of situation. And so, how did we respond? And in that, we can allow ourselves to be shaped then if we see how we, if we're, if we're honest about how we would respond. Because sometimes when we're honest about it, you, you end up not being where you want to be, right? And you're like, oh, I don't want to be honest because then you have to be honest, right? It's like, it's okay just to kind of well, let's not really think about it. But today, as we go through this, we need to see certain things about this story that, that really show us why it's such an amazing story. And the first thing, is the, is the rebelliousness of sin. When we look at this, these first few verses, we, we see the rebelliousness of sin. It, really that 11 through 17, really 16, but 17 is kind of the transition. We, we see the rebelliousness of the sin when we see the younger son. We see the younger son, we see an, an arrogant young guy, right? Like, he's like, give me what's mine. And, and that's, that's unheard of to ask. If you look in any time, like I can't call my dad and say, hey, give me what's mine now. You wouldn't do that, right? Well, that's what he does. And so immediately, the, the people that are hearing this, because remember, this is a continuation. This is the third parable that, that Jesus is speaking. You get the first part of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, right? This is the third parable that he told to that crowd. This is the same setting that he tells that. And so you can see those people like drawing in. Like, okay, the sinner's like, ooh, that might be me. And the Pharisee's like, yeah, how dare he ask for his stuff? Because that's what we do, right? We can't do that. You can't ask for that. And you see the arrogance of him being willing to ask. He's basically saying, why don't you just die now and give me what I have? Like, I'm ready to go with that. That's, that's what he's saying. That's a, there's an arrogance in that. And, and really, in this culture that, that this is being told in, he should have been beaten by the Father and, like, cast out. Right, that, that's what should have happened. He should have, the father should have heard him say, give me what's mine. If I should have beat him and cast him out, that's what was the appropriate response. That, that's what the Pharisees would have wanted. Because how dare you ask that? He's, he's basically spitting in the face of the father saying, your life's not any good to me anymore. Give me what's mine so I can just move on. And then What happens? His father does, right? We don't get any, Jesus doesn't give us any feedback on the father. He just says, and he divided his property between them, okay? So with two brothers, that would have been a third of what the father had because the older brother, the older brother was always a double portion. So with two of them, it's a third and two-thirds. That's easy math for me today, right? If it had been more, I mean, wait a second, what do we got going there? And so we, we, he divided up, and in in, what did the son do? Not many days later, in verse 13, the son gathered all he took, and he journeyed to a far country. He took what he was, and he left. He took what he was, and he left. But what, had hap- what happened then? And there he squandered his property in reckless living. See, that's where we get this idea that it's the rebelliousness of sin, because he squandered it. It's not, it wasn't good intentions gone bad. He just partied it up, and then it was gone, right? Reckless living. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've done that, where you've gotten some money back, like maybe you got a bonus or something, and you're like, sweet, I've got something that I didn't think I was due at this point, and you just waste it, right? This is everything that he had. This is throwing everything, that he He squandered it. It wasn't a good deal, and it wasn't like he thought, hey, let me make some good investments, and then they didn't come in return, and it's like, oh, man, I messed that up. Now, he just, he didn't even care. Whatever, you 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 can see that picture, because we live in a culture where people do that, if we're honest, we just, we squander everything. And so this idea that, that he was so arrogant to ask first, and then he wasn't even smart with it. That, and that's what we do as people living a sinful life. We just, everything that we have, we think it's just going to last forever. That, it, that it's always going to be there. And so what do we do? We squander our lives. We have reckless living. And, and understand here that the sinful life isn't just a halfway thing. Like it's completely there. And, and so when we live our lives apart from the Father, if we're focused on ourselves, we're the same as the younger son. It's not that, if you've never had the life where you've just been in just this party reckless person by our standards, that doesn't exempt you from this. We've all done that because we've all, like sheep, gone astray, right? We've all done that. We're all sinners by nature. So it's, it's not that, that you can't just sin halfway or some sins aren't as bad. Well, that's true, we would say lying's not as bad as murder, but they're still sin. It's still different consequences of those sin, but you're still sin nonetheless. And so when you look at this, you see what's happening. He's just wasted everything because eventually, like in verse 14, he says, And he had spent everything, and then what happened? A famine arose. Eventually, the sinful life breaks down. Eventually, that life will break down. The rebelliousness of sin can only take you so far. Eventually, it'll break down. It cannot sustain you. It promises things it can't deliver. And you're living that life. You don't see that until it doesn't deliver. And, and, and so what we have now is people, we try to control our lives. And that's exactly what, what Jesus talks about. Look at verse 15. So he went and he hired some himself out. He's still in this mindset that I can take care of myself, that I'm... Okay, I know what I need to do. He hired himself out, I've got to eat, so I'm gonna get a job. Well then he gets a job feeding pigs, which to the Jews was was nothing. Like that you can't imagine that. Why would we go to those filthy animals? And and, and really if if you ever been around pigs, you can associate this a little better. It might shock you to know that I used to raise pigs. I used to be a country boy like that and thought it was cool, I showed pigs and everything. They're they're nasty animals. The the environment that they live in, right? And so this is what this guy's doing. He's, he's completely got to this point to where that's an acceptable occupation for him. I gotta eat. But he couldn't eat, why? Because no one would help him. Did you, did you catch that in the story? Like he was hungry, but no one gave him anything. Right? Because that's what happens when you're living in that rebelliousness that, that you realize that eventually, if you're trying to live on your own, eventually you can't provide that for yourself. And so then what happens is he... He gets to this point where he realizes that he can't do that. that he can't, and that's what happens. Our false, our false saviors eventually just let us down. Eventually they break down. And sometimes it takes an entire life of living for the wrong thing before someone realizes that everything's been a waste. Because the rebelliousness of sin, this reckless, squandered life of sin, will eventually... Fail to deliver on its promises. It'll eventually leave you wanting. And so the, the thing that you can ask yourself now as a, a way to, to understand where you are is, is what choices are you making now that provide for yourself that end up being false saviors? What, what ways are you providing for yourself that, that might give you stability, but it's stability through your actions instead of the Father's? That might give you comfort or acceptance? Because we all make choices Every day. But what we need to do in understanding this is that if it comes back to where we're trying to provide for ourselves, that's not what we've been called to do. We've been given everything by the Father, and that's what we need to understand. The rebelliousness of sin turns your back on the provision that you already had. And it says that you can do it on your own. You can do it on your own, but we can't, right? If you've, if you've been in that situation, I remember getting to that point everything that I'd done to my life it didn't it didn't equal what I thought it would it was a fun and it was exciting and it was miserable at the same time have you ever had that situation where you've been in this point where your life is really exciting and miserable at the exact same time that's exactly what's happening to the younger son in this story because he's living through a reckless life based on a rebelliousness of sin that we can't ever escape. So what do you do? You see the repentance of the lost. And Matthew Henry said that the prodigal came home between hope and fear. Fear of being rejected and a hope of being received. But his father was not only better than his fears, but better than his hope. And we look at this, we see that, that he finally, verse 17 is the verse for you if you've ever been the younger son, right? What has happened? But when he came to himself, right, he woke up. He realized, I'm laying here with the pigs. It's this epiphany that, that it should bring you comfort. That's the exciting point. Verse 17 is one of those, those points in building the story that we're getting to the climax. This, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Like, what in the world am I doing? Because what happened? What, what led to that? See, he hit rock bottom, didn't he? He finally, his false savior's finally bottomed out. He came to himself. And whether that's been you in the past, and you understand this because you're like, I've been there. I've bounced off the bottom, right? The, the, the bottom was hard. I've bounced off. It, it, but maybe that's you now. Maybe you're at that point now. You're at this rock and nothing else is happening then take comfort that you can understand that what your father has is better for you. You can wake up. You can repent of the false saviors that, that let you down, that destroy your life, your comfort, your security. And you can say, wait a second, there's something better. And see, that's where, that's where Christianity veers from culture. If you look at verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And then 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Those two verses show the difference between Christianity and our culture because our culture says just keep doing it, right? You, you can find it. If you work hard enough, eventually you'll be okay. Eventually you'll make your way out. Just find something else. And we have so many people that are trapped in this cycle of trying to find their own way because cult- culture says that, that hope comes from yourself. That, that we have hope in our ability to get ourselves out. Our ability to just work a little better, work a little harder. I always think about, um, I heard a Jerry Seinfeld comedy one time, and he was talking about being in a plane, and they shut the first, first, um, between first class and and coach, and they shut the curtain, and he's like, they always give you that look like, maybe if you'd worked a little harder, right, you you could be up there. But that's what we tell ourselves, right? Maybe if we work just a little bit harder, it won't end up the exact same way it did the last time, and the last time, and the last time. But we forget that if we're living for ourselves, that there is no hope in that. Eventually that false security even in ourselves will let us down because we're not strong enough to carry ourselves. And if we're honest about who we are, we realize that. That the only hope is to repent and turn from that. So was, Look at what I had. The lowest in God's kingdom have it better than the best in the world. And we have to remember that. That repentance is a positive thing because Christianity says you have hope in what? Christ. You have, you have hope in Him. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are. You have hope in Him alone. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to clean yourself off from all the slop and the mud that you've been wallowing around with the pigs. You just go back. You repent of that. And that's a scary place if we're honest, right? Repentance is scary because you you you're all, you're open, right? You're bared for all to see. So why can we repent? Why can we be comfortable in that? Because for me to say that we need to repent when we're living in the reckless, squandered life and the rebelliousness of sin, that's scary. So why, why is that an okay option? Why can we find hope in that? And we see that in the way the father reacts to the son. If you look in verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. So he traveled back. It's a long journey. He, you can think of he's rehearsing the whole way back what he's going to say. Right? There's a little apprehensive. you know. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen, so he, but he's going back. There's nothing here for me. He's hit rock bottom. The only thing is to bounce up and go back to his father and beg. right? But then, look what happens. But while he was still along off, his father saw him. Okay, So here, that's the first reason that we can be comfortable in repentance, that we can be comfortable in going back to him. Because the father saw him, which means that he was watching for him. Right? If the father had just written him off, He wouldn't notice when he was coming from afar off, right? No, the father saw him. And not only did he see him, what's the next thing that gives us confidence? He felt compassion. He felt compassion. Matthew Henry right here says, notice that there's not a word of rebuke that the father gives. He sees him all the way off. The same son that basically spit in his face, said, why don't you die? Give me what I want. He's coming. He sees him because he's watching for him. He's hoping that he comes back to him. And then what? He, he feels compassion. His compassion, not condemnation. For God sent his son into the world so the world might be saved, not be condemned, right? He feels compassion on him. And then what? And then he runs. This is one of the great things that if you like to be lazy, because in that culture, men didn't run, right? And you're like, why can't we bring it back, right? I was doing that the other night. I fell, and JJ was laughing at me when I told him, and I fell. And it was like, why am I running? The dog looked at me, and was like, why are you running? I'm like, I don't know, right? But, but he ran to him. He, this is an undignified thing. The older man, you didn't run to anyone. So he sees him because he's watching for him. He has compassion on him, and he runs to him. He doesn't care about what culture says I should do. I'm going to run to my son, and what's he do? He embraces him. He kisses him. He, he welcomes him in. Even though he's filthy from the travel, he's filthy from the slop and the rock bottom that he'd hit because of his recklessness. And a squandered life. And he embraced him and he kissed him. So all of those things, when we see the Father, it gives us the ability to so know that we can repent. Because we too have a Father that's watching for us. That feels compassion on us. So much so that he gave us his only son. That he comes to us when we're far off. That that he embraces us. He brings us into the family. And only that, but if you continue, what does he do? He, he doesn't even listen to the son's thing. The son gives a spill, right? And the father doesn't even acknowledge it. And right? he's like, you can see it's almost like you want Jesus to say that the father's like, would you just stop talking? I don't even need to see that. Because what does the father do? He said to his servants quickly, bring the best robe. The best robe implying the, the one that you never wore. The best robe means the best robe. Like the ceremonial, the stuff that you didn't wear. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and then shoes on his feet. The shoes on his feet are critical because that implies that he's not a servant. Servants didn't get shoes. Sons did. And so when we see that, we can be confident and know that we can go back and we can repent of our squandered, reckless lives because we're clothed in the best robe of Christ's righteousness. That he has brought us in that he puts feet or sandals on our feet because we're not just servants we're sons and daughters he brings us back he embraces us and so if we look at verse 21 20 and 21 22 and he closed him that gives you confidence to know that you can repent that it's okay to admit that you're at your rock bottom because he knows that you are You have to repent, you have to return. You have to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he'll ignore that. And he says, no, but I gave you my son so that you might be adopted into the family. So we can repent. Repentance of the loss is necessary because you realize that you can't do it on your own, that you have a father that's watching for you. But we can't go further. We can't, see, if we stop there, it's a great story, isn't it? This is, right? this is an amazing story. This is winning awards. This is one, everyone's excited. Everything ends. We go and we party, right? That's what they happen next. Bring the fatted calf. Let's get the best stuff we're going to do. We're going to celebrate, right? And they begin to celebrate. Verse 24, let's stop there, right? And so often as a church, we have a tendency to do that in our minds. But we can't miss the last part where we see a rebuke of the religious people. And it's funny that, that I, you might think, well, you just said there's not a rebuke. There's not one spoken, but there's a rebuke implied because we get the older brother. Tim, this is where Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says that we can't forget that this is the story of two brothers. It's not the story of just the younger brother. It's the story of the younger brother and the older brother. And so we can't forget this second part. I just want to read the second part, and then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it and understand what he's saying here. In verse 25, says, so now the older son was in the field, and he came... And he drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. See, they've already started celebrating. The son's out in the fields working. And then 26, and he called to one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf. Because he was received to him back safe and sound. But he was angry. That's the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But as he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when your son of yours comes, when this son of yours comes, notice he doesn't say, my brother comes. The son of your comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and he killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And so imagine the people, remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and scribes. And so immediately the Pharisees and Scribes understand that he's talking about them. Why? Because they were mad that the sinners had drawn near. Right? They were they were frustrated, like even he eats with the sinners. He eats with these people. And so immediately they're the older son. And so let's, let's look at what that is, because a lot of times we have this, this tendency to, to become the older son. Just as all of us have had a point to where we're the, we're the younger son. All of us have sinned, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all been the younger son, but we all don't have to be the older son. We don't have to be that. So let's look at him so we can understand what's happening the older brother, what's he do? He, he boasts first. He's a, he's a prideful person. That's what he in in verse, verse 29, right? He said, but he answered, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed. His only focus is on his own actions. He, he's boasting about what he's done. He said, look at the record. Younger son, reckless, squandered everything that you had. One is you dead. Me, I've been here doing it perfect the whole time. Uh, this is what we're supposed to do. He boasts. He'd, he had written off his brother, right? He wasn't watching. He didn't notice the son, the other brother had returned, right? Why? Because he's out in the field. He's carried on with his life. That guy's gone. I've written him off. He's a sinner. He's angry. So you get verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Refused to go in. He, 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 he's childish, right? Kids pout, right? Kids pout and don't go in somewhere. Well, they didn't give me this, so I'm not gonna play with them. I deal with it all the time at the school. Like, oh, they don't, I'm like, get over it. Go somewhere else. It doesn't matter, right? But, but that's what he did. He, he sit here and he's like, well, he gets a party because then you get, realize that he's actually selfish because he says, you didn't even give me a goat, much less the fatted calf. I wanted to have a party. Right? He's just selfish and he's pouting. You can see that. And it's like we have one son that goes and squanders everything. I and mean, another son that's just a, a selfish, bratty, arrogant kid, right? But he's not a kid. He's a grown man pouting, and that's scary, right? It's like, don't be that guy, right? Don't, don't be that one. But, but how many times do we become like the older brother and we're unforgiving and we're childish? Because how can God save those people? How can those people get exactly what I get when I'm the one that's done it right? And see, that's why we don't have to be the older son. We don't have to be the older son because we don't have to be in that point to where we're on the outside of the celebration looking in wondering why they're included. We, we're in that party too, right? You see that? It's, it's fitting to celebrate. I love that verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate. The Father's like, it's obvious. We celebrate when something's found. This is the third parable in a row that Jesus has talked about celebrating for something that was lost that's found. And so maybe we should figure that out by now, that, that we should be rejoicing when sinners repent, when lost people are found, when they come to acceptance, and they submit their lives to Christ. We shouldn't be the older brothers outside thinking, look what I've done this whole time. Right? We should be saying, look, they've come back. Let's, be on, let's, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate with them. But so many times, we're not. The other thing we need to notice about this is, is the father's reaction. Right? Look, at the, look at the father's reaction to the son in verse 28. But he was angry refused to go in. So he's standing outside pouting like a kid. And his father, what? He comes out to him and treated him. Did you notice that the the father's reaction was the exact same to both sons? How did he know he was outside? We'd have to think that he's looking for him. Like, wait a second, my son's not in here. So what's he do? He goes to him. He goes out to him. He comes to him and says, why aren't you here? And he doesn't rebuke this son either. You, You get that? He tells him this is why we should, it's fitting we should celebrate. He doesn't tell him to grow up, to get over it. And so many times, that's how I felt as a father, right? If something goes wrong, I immediately rebuke. And I hate it. I don't know how many times I have to go to Keaton and and repent of, I'm sorry that I lose my temper so quickly or I expect you to be perfect because I know you're not perfect. And that's exactly what the father could have said. Like, grow up. Quit pouting, it doesn't matter. It's not about you, but he does not And he says, no, look, it was fitting to celebrate. You already had everything. In verse 31, son, you were always with me in all that is mine is yours. See, the old brother didn't even realize that he had already had everything. And that's exactly what we need to realize as the church that we already have inheritance through our, through our lives. And we want to share that. We want people to come into the family that are outside of that. And if we're like the older brother, it's not going to happen. And that's the problem that we have in, in society right now is we're so willing to condemn people before we get to know them. We're so willing to act like the older brother and say, it wasn't, you shouldn't be allowed in here because I've been doing it right. I figured it out quicker than you did. And so we condemn people instead of showing them that they can repent that there is hope found that there's not hope found that's the difference in christianity and every other religion Because christianity offers hope in something besides ourselves everything else in some way you do something to get it some way you're involved in that christianity says no christ is there and so we can do that. We shouldn't be outside of the party, right? It's fitting to celebrate. It's a good thing when lost people are found, when those that are outside, living in reckless abandon and rebelliousness of sin, repent and come. That's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. And we should celebrate instead of wondering why God could save those people. So that's why we always say that we want to be normal people that preach the gospel. Because If you remember, Tim Keller points this out as well, that that if you look at this story, that Jesus is the better older brother. If we look at Christ, that he is the better older brother. Why? Because he sold his fortune for us. He didn't just sit back and say, this is what I have. No, he he gave up his portion so that we might be brought in. So he didn't condemn us. He sold his, he gave his for us. And that's what's so amazing about the story is we can see that in every way we see that Jesus is the better one. That Jesus took on our son and the re- this sin and our rebelliousness of our sin. He gave us his righteousness, his best robe to be clothed in. And he gave his fortune, he gave his life for us. And so that's why we can just simply point to Christ. We don't have to come up with anything. It's been given to us. So as we live our lives That's what we should be called. That's what we are called to do. And that's what we want to be known for in our community is people that are are normal people understanding that we're still sinners. Yet we have a Father that loves us, that's embracing us, that's closed us in the best that He has. Let's pray.